John 15, 16, and 17, we're going to try and see if we can't make our way through. And uh, laying the context is always important whenever you're studying scriptures. Um, verse, uh, uh, the last verse of chapter 14 is the end of the, the, the Last Supper or the Passover feast that the disciples had with the Lord in the upper room. And it says, Arise, let us go from here. Leading up to that, though, the context is the Last Supper when the Lord celebrated the Feast of Passover with his disciples. And in Matthew 26 and in Mark 14 and in Luke 22, they recount this meal with Jesus and he washes the disciples' feet. He settles a dispute amongst them who would be the greatest. Uh, he identifies who would betray him at this uh, supper table. He declares the new covenant in his blood and, and it institutes what we call communion uh, for remembrance of that new covenant and tells them that they would all stumble at the events that lie ahead and they'd be scattered, lie ahead that very night. And, but after that, he would be raised. And it says, um, you know, none of these uh, more than a chapter or so in uh, Matthew, Mark, and, and Luke. John, if you were to combine those chapters 15, 16, and 17 along with 13 or 14, has five Five chapters it says a lot about that time period leading up to when they got to the Garden of Gethsemane. Um, and so for five chap chapters, he recounts much more of what Jesus said to his disciples after that meal and even a prayer that Jesus prayed and um, with them. And you all know how it goes after a meal with friends. You kick back, you loosen up your belt buckle, and you kind of relax, and you start having conversation and fellowship and while they were still there, and going back into 13 or 14, um, uh, Peter, Thomas, Philip, and, and the other Judas, you know, they had their questions, and they were going around the table, and as you can imagine, you know, just kicking back, and the Lord was, was ministering to them. And, and he would tell them about his betrayal, and he would tell them that he would be glorified with the Father, and that he was going to prepare a place for them, and go prepare a place for us. He assured them that the Father would send his Holy Spirit, and he said the helper, uh, the comforter, to dwell in them and teach them all things and, and uh, even bring to remembrance the things the Holy Spirit would bring to remembrance. And it's important uh, because for us in our day, you know, it's necessary for us to read, it's necessary for us to, to meditate and to study God's Word and also that when he is using us to speak to others, that he can bring things to remembrance. He's not going to be able to bring something to your mind, and I'm sure he can do the miracle he needs to do in the time he needs to do it. But how is he going to bring to your mind um, anything that you haven't put in there? And so it's necessary for us, in order to speak with others, that we would study the scriptures and know the word and, and read it. You know, even if it's just reading through in the mornings for a half hour. And uh, just to have something, maybe that, that day he'll use what you read. Uh, and maybe uh, he, you'll remember what you was what what you heard on the Sunday or the Wednesday before that, and um, this is what he would use as we minister to others and try and share him with others. Um, you know, at this point, at the end of chapter fourteen, they leave the upper room, but the thought continues in John. John fifteen, sixteen, and seventeen really run right with that. Um, 
And so we're looking at these chapters. Dwight left off in John 15, verse 19, back in March. And so we can pick up with a little lead up to verse 10. Uh, one of the most important ways to stay true to Scripture is to establish context. And part of that is to look for reasons um, things were said or written. And many times the, the letter that Paul wrote or John wrote or James, they'll say flat out right there, I write these things to you. Well, in these few chapters that we have a number of times, Jesus says exactly why he's saying these things to them. And so in chapter 14, really, the first and most important one, really, is uh, verse 29, if we read that. And now I have told you before it comes, and the reason? That when it does come to pass, you may believe. One of the most important things that we know, first of all, about prophecy and, and all is that it builds our faith. We can have faith in God because what he said comes true, and it will come true. There's much more that lies ahead for us and and again, this summer, going through Revelation and Daniel, it'll be rich. Um, in verse 15 11, we'll get to that here in a little bit, but just reading through and look, or looking at these, it says, These things I have spoken, and the reason that my joy remains in you, and your joy is full. In fifteen seventeen, These things I command you, that you love one another. In 16, verse 1, These things I have spoken to you, that you may not stumble. And then in 16, verse 4, let's read all of it uh, just quick here, and then we'll come back around in a little bit here. It says, But these things I have told you, that when the time comes, you, remember, you may remember that I told you of them. And these things I did not say to you at the beginning, because I was with you. So he's saying these things, so that when the time comes, in other words, when he's gone, and we'll be getting into that, and when he sends the Holy Spirit, he's saying these things so that when the time comes, they can remember and again, going back to the previous one, so that they're, they're not made to stumble because there's some, some major things going to happen that night, that very night. In uh, 16.12, more to say now, but, but notice it says the Spirit will speak. There's not enough time, he says. And there will be, there'll be uh, more that the Holy Spirit is going to speak. And if you look at First John, nine times it says, I have written these things because, or I say these things. I want to bring these things to remembrance. And so John, even in 1 John, speaking by the Holy Spirit now also, gives the reason why he says these things. Just my point, you know, the, often to, to have the best context, you should know why he is saying what he's saying. Even in uh, 1625 and 33, uh, in 1625 it says, spoke figuratively but will speak plainly. And then in 33 it says he tells them these things so that they're going to have peace. And this is what they, uh, the reason that he would say these things, and, and he gives the reason. It always brings context to the passage. And so just to lead up to our passage, in, in uh, 15 verses 1 through 9, he had given them, and Dwight had gone through this, um, he gives them an easy illustration of how to bear fruit. And how do you bear fruit? Will you simply abide in the vine? And this is one of the, the great I am statements that uh, Jesus says, I am the vine, and if you abide in me, you'll bear much fruit and with patience. And so bringing it up to verse 9, I want to read through verse 9 to 17 of chapter 15. And pardon me for zooming along here, I'm going to have a lot to get through, but I think we should have no problem. 
So, as the Father loved me, in verse 9, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. And if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. There it is. And this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. And greater love has no one than this, uh, to lay down one's life for his friends. And you are my friends, if you do what I command you. And no longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all things that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should remain. And whatever you ask, the Father in my name, he may give you. And these things I command you, that you love one another. And also, it could be even thought of, these things I command you, um, so that you love one another. The things that he spoke of earlier in here. Certainly he commands us to love one another, but he also equips us and gives that to us. So what is the commandment of God? To love one another as he loves us. And to further clarify, he says, how is that done? Well, we lay down our lives uh, for one another. And that's the greatest love, to lay down our life for, for one another. To start off with a small step, we can look at just simply giving. Giving of ourselves, a sacrifice of ourselves. He tells us um, it is more blessed to give than receive. Blessed, being happy, joyful. Um, you know, you know, downright hilarious is what it would be for, for giving. He would see it. And if you look in verse 11 in the same chapter, he says, These things I have spoken to you that your joy, or I'm sorry, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. And that's the joy he's talking about. The command is to love, but that command is something that is a joyous thing. To give even the littlest when we give our, our time or our, our tithes or whatever we give, um, it should be joyous. And it is a joy to know that we're helping somebody out, to know that we're doing something um, as unto the Lord and that he's working through us. And so we see that uh, you know, it's more blessed to give than receive. It's happy joyful. So how much more when we give selfless love like he's commanding? How much greater the joy when we know that he's working through us? I mean, the love that expects nothing in return. The agape love that can only work in us by his spirit. And then how does it not give us joy to know that he's working through us like this? To be called his friend for simply doing the things he's given us to do. And that word friend is uh, Philos or Philos comes from Philly, Philadelphia's uh, city of brotherly love, Philadelphia, the church, simply means companion. And, and it is a, uh, um, a brotherly love and it's a companion love, it's a simple friendship. And that is what we have with him and also we have also a deep abiding agape love with him as well. But to be called his friend for doing the things he gives us to do and to bear fruit by abiding in him. These are the simple things that love is expressed in, to simply bear fruit. That's how we love uh, in him. What joy to know his love for us. And we have the ability in us to love like he does. I can't do these things on my own. I don't think any of us can do these things on our own by our own strength. 
um, doing something through us that we could never do ourselves. And to prove that, let's go to 1 Corinthians 13. And I'm sure you're all familiar, and I'm sure you're all doing fine, but I certainly need to hear this. And um, it's uh, the chapter of, of love, and it's nestled right between uh, chapters 12 and 14, dealing with the spiritual gifts, but what's most important. And uh, the Corinthians were rich in spiritual gifts, but they needed to be reminded that, that the most important of these things, the most important uh, gift and thing that we can do to edify one another is to love. And so verse 1, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I've become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith, so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. And here is what love is. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, and thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, and hopes all things, and endures all things. Love never fails, but whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Where there is knowledge, it will vanish away. And so if you think of that, and I've seen this done, and I don't know if I want to do it, so I'm going to ask you to do it with me. Let's read through that again and put your name in there and see just how we know how impossible this is for us to do. It gets real uncomfortable for me. I'm sure you guys, again, are doing fine, but Tim suffers long and is kind. Well, I know that's not true, but let's go on if we have to. Tim does not envy. Tim does not parade himself, he is not puffed up, he does not behave rudely, does, he does not seek his own, he's not provoked and he thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but he rejoices in the truth. Tim bears all things and Tim believes all things and hopes all things, Tim endures all things, Tim never fails. <laughs> I can't do this. And hopefully you're laughing too. I know it's, it's, it's uncomfortable for me. If you are doing it along with me, you know what I'm talking about. You know, I will fail. And um, I know that I need God's grace. I know that I need his mercy. I know I need his love and his faithfulness to pick me up, dust me off, get me on my feet. But if I abide in him, I know I don't have these things of myself. How am I going to do this? If I abide in him, he says I'll bear fruit. Well, what kind of fruit? If we go back to uh, John uh, 5, 15, verse 16, um, it says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and there, that your fruit should remain, and that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. Now, when you think about what it is we would ask the Father, you know, the context here is bearing fruit. When I think of all that I desire to do for the Lord and how, fall, how, how short I fall 
reading through this uh, Corinthians chapter 13, knowing that I fail, what do I ask of the Lord? Well, I want to bear fruit. And I want to be uh, able to uh, have faith. I pray, Lord, help my faith. I pray, give me your love for this person. You know, I want your peace, Lord. I want your joy. I want to be more patient. I want to be more kind. I want to be gentle with others. You know, really, he will give us these things if we just ask? Well, these are the things he's hoping we ask for. These are the things that only he can do. Uh, Go to Galatians chapter 5, and um, we see that, you know, he gave us his Holy Spirit to dwell in us. And that's going to bear fruit. We're going to bear fruit with him. In chapter 5, verse 22, it says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, and goodness, and faithfulness. And 23, gentleness, self-control. And he goes on to describe it. Against such there's no law, because he's dealing with the Galatians who seek to want to get under the law again, and they know they're trying to do it on their own strength. And he's saying, no, it's the Spirit's going to bear that fruit in you. And so didn't he give us his Holy Spirit to dwell in us? Where else are these things going to come from? And yet I'm to keep these commandments. Therefore, I have to abide. I have to be, abide with patience. I have to bear this kind of fruit in order to obey that commandment to love. I have to ask for this kind of fruit, is what he's saying in, in John. And I need to love others with this kind of fruit. Going back to John, just picking it up in verse 18. The subject of the world and what the Jesus would have us, or what Jesus would have us know about the world. Um, verse 18 through 25. One more page. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master, and this was back when he washed their feet. If they per- persecuted me, then will they also persecute you? And they, if they keep my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know him who sent me. And if I had not come and spoken to them, they would have no sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father also. And if I had done among them the works which no one else did, or I'm sorry, if I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would have no sin. But now they have seen and also hated both me and my father. But this happened to them that the word might be fulfilled, which was written in their law. They hated me without a cause. Now, we know that uh, the world is, even from the day we got saved, we've been at odds with the world. You know, what is the world to us? At the very first, you go back to the, uh, the sower and the seed. The first thing the world does, Matthew thirteen twenty two. you know, the cares of the world and the deceitful of riches, well, th- those are the things that are trying to choke us out. Those are the things that are trying to take the word of God out of our hearts and choke out the word that's been planted in our hearts. That's the world. It's trying to 
deceive with riches and it's trying to overwhelm us with the cares of this world. If there's ever a time, I mean, I know that's appropriate for all times, but here we are. The cares of the world are absolutely being enforced on us. And here we need to, to have this verse. We need to know the, the comfort that comes from knowing that, that we're not of this world. Our, our, you know, our future is bright, and we have a great future. Yet we're to go into all the world and preach the gospel, and we are to sow that seed, you know, which is the word of God. But in Luke 12, he tells us not to trust in the world's riches or seek after what people of the world are looking for, but he says instead seek the things of above, and he'll add what we need in this life and in this world. And in Luke uh, 12, uh, 32, it says, Fear not, for it's your Father's good pleasure to give us the kingdom of heaven, not the world. It's his good pleasure to give us the things of, to come in, in, in heaven. And that said, so what is the world to us? If we leave, live a godly life in Christ Jesus, we're going to suffer persecution. We're in this world, and the world is not happy with that. If, if they hated Jesus then they'll hate us and persecute us, especially when we're serving him or we're walking a godly walk and make his word known whenever we can, you know, whenever given the opportunity. And notice in verse 24 how they're made aware of their sin by the works that Jesus did, he says. Well, the same is true for us, right? Uh, when we do good and refrain from evil, we don't laugh at their dirty jokes, we don't look at their dirty books, and, and we... we it points up their sin, and those of the world will hate us for it. And sometimes we shy away from that because we kind of know it's coming, don't we? And we might be a little bit timid when it comes time to say, you know, that's just not funny. You're, you're talking about adultery. You're talking about fornication. You're talking about stealing. You know, you're, these, are, these things are sin. Well, they don't want to hear that, and the world doesn't want to hear that, and so the world will, will persist. They're going to shut us up. Um, Jumping ahead of myself, but Stefan, when he testified uh, what they, they, they had done, they had, how they had sinned and crucified the Lord, uh, they gnashed their teeth and, threw, and stoned him to death. They were just enraged. The word, uh, if we go on to, back to chapter 15, we can pick it up again in uh, verse 26 and read on down to 16.4 is kind of a paragraph through the, through the chapter change. Uh, verse 26, But when the Helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me, and you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. These things I have spoken to you that you should not uh, be made to stumble. They will put you out of the synagogues. And yes, the time is coming, coming that whoever kills you will think he offers God service. And these things they will do to you because they have not known the Father or me. They think they're doing God a service. Um, but these things I have told you, that when the time comes, you may remember what I told you of them. And these things I did not say to you at the beginning because I was with you. In other words, he's talking about this is the last chapter this is the last um, few days that he's going to be spending with him. Uh, he goes from here to the Garden of Gethsemane. He goes from there to prison and goes from there to the cross. And um, the next time they will see him, he'll be raised. And then when he ascends to heaven, 
the next time they will see him is when he sends his Holy Spirit and they know that they're filled with the Spirit of God and it bears witness of Jesus. Uh, really, the context of all of this goes back. It's, it's the world, yes, that we're talking about, but the context going back to chapter 15, these are the Jews of the time. These are the rulers of Israel uh, that are going to put them out of the synagogues and seek to kill them, thinking it's a service to God to do so. And he's prophesying what they're going to be dealing with after they've received the Spirit and begin to testify of him. And again, Stephen being the first among the disciples to be killed, and there was Saul looking on, and eventually took up that same cause and began traveling around from town to town, persecuting the church, thinking he's doing God a service. And we have this in the book of Acts. And even so, we know today it's the devil, it's the world. Um, those that are of the world that seek to silence and destroy those that would bring the word and preach the gospel. And so we are hated and rejoice in that because so is the Lord, right? And uh, we are persecuted. We need can take comfort in that. We can actually be a little worried when we aren't being persecuted and when there isn't any warfare because what's not happening that we're not being, uh, uh, you know, representing the Lord that the world would hate and uh, persecute. So going to chapter 16, reading now 5 through 15. But now I go away to him who sent me, and none of you ask me where I'm going. But I have said these things to you, and sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For I do not go, if, if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. And if I depart, I'll send him to you. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment, of sin because they do not believe in me, of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more, and of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. It says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when the Spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth, and he will not speak to you on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will tell you things to come, and he will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. And all things the Father has are mine, and therefore I said to you that he will take of mine and declare it to you. Unless Jesus finishes the work on the cross and goes to the Father, you know, no man can see God's face, much less the Holy Spirit of Almighty God coming and dwelling within us. You know, we're sinful human beings. How is that going to ever take place? And so he needs to go. He needs to go away from them. And where he's going, they cannot come. And so he says, though it's to your advantage, and indeed also to us, now the Holy Spirit can dwell in us. Amen? You know, and to stand in this truth. So important for us to operate in the power that we have of the Holy Spirit to put aside fear, to put aside foolish worldliness. And again, I know you guys are doing fine, but I need help in these areas. Um, if you look at just verse 26, Jesus said he would send the spirit of truth. I'm sorry, going back to uh, uh, chapter 15, verse 26. He said that he would send the spirit of truth 
who proceeds from the Father, and it says, he will testify of me. So what does the Spirit do when he comes? Looking at this little stretch of Scripture, it's so important uh, for us to know the truth. Many people want to tell you what the Spirit's doing. Many people want to you know, tell you that God told them to do something, and it's got nothing to do with what the Word of God says, but they think it's from the Lord, and so they're going to go do it. But what does the Spirit do when he comes? It says he'll convict the world of sin, of righteousness, of judgment. Now, he goes on to say of sin, and here it is if you put it, because he testifies of Jesus, their sin remains because they don't believe on him who was sent by God, as it says. And of righteousness, again, because he testifies of Jesus, that he died for our sins, rose from the dead the third day, and ascended to the Father. And our righteousness is in him. So he, he will convict the world of righteousness. Why? Because our righteousness is in him. They have no righteousness. Um, of judgment, well, this is interesting. You know, he, the judgment, because the devil is judged, the spirit of the world, the prince of darkness, the father of lies, the deceiver of nations. Well, when does this take place? It says, this is why the spirit was sent in. You know, why does he come? He comes to convict the world of judgment. Well, the devil is judged. He says, if we go back to John 12, uh, verses 27 through 33, a couple pages back, it says, Now my soul is troubled, um, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. And This is again leading up to before the, the Last Supper, and he's predicting you know, his death on the cross. And he says, But for this pers- purpose... I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And then a voice came from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. And therefore the people who stood by and heard it said it thundered, and others said an angel spoke to him. And Jesus answered and said, Well, this voice did not come because of me, but for your sakes. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And if I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all peoples to myself. And saying this, he signified by what death he would die. So it begins. You know, when does this take place? When he's lifted up. And when does the Holy Spirit come to the world to tell and that uh, to convict the world of judgment? Well, it's been done. And you know, the, the, the enemy has been defeated. Let's go to Hebrews 2. 14 and 15, you know, speaking of the Lord, not to neglect such great a salvation and um, bringing many of us to him. It says, Inasmuch as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in that same that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil. You know, what is it that people fear? I mean, people fear death. You know, what, I, I didn't never realize this because I never was into the New Age or into yoga or anything like that, but that, that whole idea of emptying your mind and, and sitting there and meditating, and it's even in the church these days, some yoga, Christian yoga type stuff, that whole idea of emptying your mind is done by these New Agers so that they can get themselves ready for death. They want to feel like what emptiness is, where nothing is, because they so fear death 
And I think uh, Mary, my wife, has a track on that to kind of explain that a little bit more in depth and what they take with that and what they do with that. But, you know, it's the, the conviction of the Holy Spirit that death has been beaten. The enemy had the power of death. He has been beaten. We have no reason to fear death, but we do have reason to trust in our Lord, our Savior, because without that, we will die, and we'll die a second death as well. And so it says uh, that he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through fear of death were uh, all their lifetime subject to bondage. That's what I'm saying. They were in fear, subject to that bondage. Going to Ephesians chapter 1, verses 19 and 23, or through 23. Ephesians chapter 1. Verse 19, it says, And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe? According to the working of his mighty power, which he have worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly places, far above all principality, far above all power, all might and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come, that includes all the oligarchy that we're all so worried about and complaining about these days and, and what's happening in our world with all these things. And the, it seems how we've lost control. Hey, it's under his feet. He's put all these things under his feet. He, he, uh, in verse 22, and he put all these things under his feet and gave, and gave him to be head over all things to the church. The Father putting all things under Jesus' feet, giving him to be head over all things to the church which is his body and the fullness of him who fills all in all. There's more in Colossians talking about the Lord filling all in all. And I, Colossians, you can't, you can't resist because, you know, there are those, if we were to just look at, uh, at verse 23 in chapter, uh, or I'm sorry, in verse, verse 15 in chapter 2 of Colossians, what really we're going to get to here having disarmed the principalities and the powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing triumphing over them in it. And and so he's going on here uh, talking about this and how the enemy has been beaten because there's people in Colossae, uh, the Judaizers, and not only that, just people who want to judge, people who want to... Take away, you know, there's, if you look at verse, we'll go through 1 through 23, because there are those seeking, the devil, the world, and even some who call themselves Christians, that want to deceive with persuasive words. They want to delude them with persuasive words. They want to cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit. They want to take you captive through just philosophy and just trying to trick you. They want to judge you about what foods you eat and what you drink. They want to cheat you or defraud you of the reward we have in the Lord. And if you look through this, as we read through this, I'm going to just kind of read through it. But if you wanted to just keep track as you're sitting there thinking about what it is Jesus is and why that beats this argument, why we don't need to be deceived, we don't need to be defrauded, or we don't need to be deluded, we shouldn't be taken captive with these things. Uh, the empty philosophy. So verse uh, 1, 
For I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you and those in Laodicea. For as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, and the reason he's got a conflict is because they're starting to follow after these people. They're deluding him. It says that their hearts might be encouraged, being knit together in love and attaining to all riches, to all the full assurance of the understanding, to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both the Father and of Christ. He wants them to be assured. He wants them to attain to that full assurance and then have that understanding of the knowledge of the mystery of, of God and the Father and Christ. And that was a mystery until Christ came. And there were prophecies, but it was hidden. The church and how we would be his body was a mystery in, in the past until it was revealed here. And in whom are hidden, now making note of this list, if you want to write it down, it's a take a notebook, everything that's said about Jesus, and write it down and just make a list. It's a wonderful list. It's encouraging. It takes away our fear from these people that are trying to delude us. So it says, in him, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, not these guys with their philosophies. Now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. For though I am absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and your steadfastness and your faith in Christ. And so he's saying they've got faith. And then in verse 6, you know, same way you received that, now walk in him. Well, how did you receive your faith in the Lord? You believed. You trusted him. You called on him. You asked him. And so how are we going to walk with him? Believe. Trust in him. Call on him. He'll be your help. Follow him. And in verse 7, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, as you've been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. And beware, lest anyone cheat you now through the philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the what? Of the world. Remember the world we were talking about? That world that's our enemy? That world that wants to choke us out with its wisdom, with its lies and deceitfulness? It says, the basic principles of the world, and in contrast to that, not according to uh, Christ. You know, it, it's, he contrasts that. Um, where did I skip to? Yes, in verse 8. So beware, and, and this is that wisdom, this is that tradition of men, that philosophy, and Philo and Sophie, if you want to take that word apart, is interesting. Well, we know Philo, we just talked about it before, right? That's love, that friendship. And Sophie, well, what's Sophie? Same word for wisdom. The word for wisdom in the Greek is Sophia. And if you've got a really smart daughter, you should have named her Sophia. But it, it's, the, it's the tradition of men now, that they love the, the philosophy. They love wisdom above and beyond based on the tradition of men according to the principles of the world, not the wisdom that we have in Christ Jesus. It says, For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him. Who is the head of all principality and power? In him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, putting off the body of sins and the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. In other words, he's going to get into these guys that are trying to lay a trip on them about what they can eat and drink. We are buried with him in baptism, which you also are raised with him, and through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, 
he has now made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting and the requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Now, that's why we don't have that fear. Because it's been nailed to the cross. Our sins are forgiven. We don't need to fear death. We have no reason to doubt that when we see him, we'll be clean. And when we see him, we'll have our new bodies. And now it says in 15, disarming the principalities and powers. He made public spectacle of them, triumphing over them. So let no one judge you in food or in drink or in regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath, whether it's a red moon or there's two of them in the same month or a blue moon or whether it's a big moon or a harvest moon. These are just a shadow of the things to come. None of these mean anything. The substance of all these things is Christ. Let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility. These guys would say, oh, I've been so good, and I've been so poor. And, you know, they want to talk about worshiping of angels and intruding into those things which they haven't even seen, vainly puffed up in their fleshly mind, talking about themselves, talking about how well they've done what they're supposed to be doing. And so they're not holding fast, though, to the head from all the body, nourished and knit together, Joints and ligaments grow and increases from God. You know, it's, it's a, uh, a joyous thing to rest in the Lord, knowing that we have so many members of the body, and we all fit together, and we join together. And he goes on that we've died with Christ to the basic principles of the world. Why, as though living in the world, do you subject yourself to regulations? Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle. With all concern, things which perish with the using. Uh, which all concern uh, things which perish with the using according to the commandments and the doctrines of the Lord? Well, no. Here we are again. We're talking about the things that men would lay on you. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom, self-imposed religion, false humility. They can crawl upstairs on broken glass and get their knees all bloody and somehow that brings them to a place where the, the Lord is going to hear them. You know, that's not at all what he's saying. It's, it's these things have an appearance of wisdom, self-imposed religion, false humility, the neglect of the body, but are of no value against real self-indulgence of the flesh. If you're going to indulge in the flesh, you know, Jesus says if uh, your eye offends you, pluck it out. You know, he means that, you know, that's how serious we should take lust of the eyes. But, you know, there's blind guys that have just as much lust as the rest of us. And it's not the matter of that they can't see. It's the matter that it's in their heart. It's a thing that the Lord needs to deal with. Verse, uh, chapter 16, verse 13 through 15. It says, also the Spirit. However, when he, the Spirit, it says he will guide us into all truth. He will not speak on his own authority, it says. He speaks what he hears. He will tell of things to come. And he will glorify Jesus. He will take of what belongs to Jesus and declare that to us. You know, Jesus said his yoke is easy, his burden is light for us. And maybe we take on some things that only really the Spirit can accomplish properly. And we should simply allow ourselves to be led by him. A lot of times that requires patience and not overreacting to a situation. 
but also moving forward when we see that he's in it. You know, he's got his hand on something and something's going on that only the Lord can do. You know, yeah, we move forward then. Some, something only he can do or provide for, an open door. You know, one more thing notice through this passage uh, for those, um, you know, that deny the Trinity and, and the Godhead, you know, they, you can't re- read through verse 13 or really this passage of, of, uh, of uh, verses 5 through 15 and still not know that the Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is not like the Jehovah's Witnesses tried to explain to me one time. I was at a house working and this guy was a Jehovah's Witness. He's trying to explain to me that, well, it's, he's not a person. It's not a trinity because the Spirit, whenever it talks about it, it's like, it's like an electricity kind of power kind of thing that it's alive. But, you know, and so it's ridiculous not to think that the person of Jesus would go to be with the Father and he would not send the person of the Holy Spirit to come be with us. You know, he's not going to send some juice that gives us what we need to do the stuff we need to do. He's going to send us a person who does these things as he describes them, gives the glory. He doesn't speak of himself. Electricity doesn't have speaking one way or the other. It just is electricity. It can't be a substance. It can't be a matter. It's a person. And so we see that so clearly through here, and, and I would just hope it encourages you if you have the opportunity to share. And you can look up all the Greek, but when, you, when he says he, the spirit of truth, has come, that has come speaks of a person in the Greek. The entire context of this passage is Jesus going to the Father and the Spirit being sent to continue to guide in truth, just as Jesus taught them, he says the Spirit will teach. The person of Jesus now at the Father, the person of the Spirit now sent to us. In 16 through 33, it says, A little while, and I will not see you. Um, and a little while, you will not see me. And again, a little while, you will see me. Because I go to the Father. And then some of the disciples said among themselves, Well, what's this he says to us? A little while, and you'll not see me. And again, a little while, and you will see me. And and because I go to the Father, what is this? And they said, therefore, well, what is this? He says, a little while. And we do not know what he's saying. And now Jesus knew that they were desiring to ask him. You know, it wasn't complaining, you know, like I'm maybe making it sound. It was more like, um, you know, we want to know, Lord, help us. He says, are you inquiring among yourselves about what I said a little while? And you will not see me. And again, a little while. And you will see me. Now, this speaks of the, the three days and the three nights that the Lord would be in the earth. And um, so that little while has got a time period to it. Three days, three nights. And it says, Most assuredly, I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You know, they're going to do that. And you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. Praise the Lord. A woman, when she is in labor, has sorrow because her hour has come. But as soon as she has given birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish for the joy that a human being has been born into the world. You know, you ladies do have a gift of being able to see that life come into the world for the very first time, to look at you, to bond with you, to, and it just is the greatest joy. That is an advantage. And sure, the guys are there too. We get to see it too. But this is the, the, the blessing, I believe, the Lord has given specially to the gals. And, um, therefore you know, or I should say, therefore you now have sorrow, but I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice, and your joy no one will take from you. Oh boy, I can't wait. And in that day you will ask me nothing. 
Most assuredly, I say, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. And until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive again, that your joy may be full. Kinds of things we want to ask for. You know, he acknowledges that they're going to sour, uh, sorrow greatly. But not only uh, will he return, but they will rejoice, and that joy is going to remain. And God desires that our joy be full. And so that when we ask in Jesus' name, he gives. Notice Jesus even directs us to pray to the Father in his name. Why? Well, because he loves us. Because he loves Jesus. He gives because he loves us. We ask, you know, when we're asking for those things that he's commanded us to do, because we can't do it when we ask for it. How much more is he going to want to give us those things? How much more does he want to give us his Holy Spirit that gives us the strength to, to do those things? And we have faith in the Son, who was sent by the Father, and this is the, the fullness of our fellowship with him, you know, even now. Trusting and learning of all that we have in him and all that lay ahead for us. You know, see how his disciples now know that he is speaking plainly. It's interesting, you know, you keep on reading down. These things I have spoken to you in figurative uh, uh, language, but the time is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figurative language, but I will tell you plainly about the Father. And in that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I shall pray the Father for you, for the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed in me that I came forth from God. And that is the gospel. A lot of people thought it's just Jesus and Jesus only, you know. A lot of people, again, deny the Trinity. And the, the Messiah is the Son of God who comes from the Father, who the Father has sent throughout the previous chapters in the Gospel of John over and over and over. He says, believe in me, but believe in him who sent me. And, and that's the most important aspect because, you know, Jesus isn't Jesus without the Father sending him. You know, he's just uh, maybe a prophet or, or somebody else that's able to do things like Janus and Jambres could change snakes and, or sticks into snakes, you know. But he is the Son of God when he gives glory to the Father who sent him. And, and that's what the, they believe. That's what we believe. And that he will ascend to the Father. He will send the Holy Spirit to them and they will have a comforter and a helper and the peace of God it talks about. And in the power of the Holy Spirit, they will testify of Jesus and ask the Father as they need and rejoice in all that he leads them in. And they remember what he told them as he said they would. And as do you and I when we follow him. You know, we plant the word in our, heart, our hearts and we remember it and he brings it to mind. Tribulations? Yes, he says this now. You know, he, there's going to be a time, indeed. Um, well, I kind of skipped over. I came forth, the Father have come into the world again, and I leave the world and go to the Father. His disciples, now we see you're speaking plainly and using figure, and no figure of speech. So they see it. They know it. They believe it's the Father who sent the Son. And now we are sure that you uh, know all things and have no need that anyone should question you. By this we believe that you came forth from God. And Jesus answered them, You now believe indeed the hour is coming, and yes, has now come, that you will be scattered to each his own. Leave me alone. And yet I am not alone, because the Father is with me. And these things I have spoken to you, that in me you might have peace. And in the world you are going to have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Tribulations, yes. Trials, warfare, temptation, yes. The world trying to cheat us, delude us, take us captive, 
defraud us and judge us? Yes, like we saw in Colossians. But, but what? Well, Jesus has overcome the world. He's trampled all these things under his feet. And this world is not my home. We don't want to be of the world, you know. The, you know, his, we're, we're of the kingdom to come. We're not of this world. Having peace comes from knowing the Prince of Peace. His word says to be complete in him. It's mature, that's full. Good comfort of one mind living in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which you were called. Scriptures say, raising Jesus from the dead was done entirely that we would have reconciliation to the Father and the Son and that we would have peace with the Father. This is why Jesus rose from the dead for us, that we can have that peace. So chapter 17, if you'll give me an extra few minutes, verses 1 through 5, it's, it's the Lord's Prayer. It's a precious thing because we see now maybe get a glimpse of what the Father has always had with the Son throughout eternity, long before he ever created us and created the world. And we see this prayer of, of his conversation with the Lord, and we get a glimpse. We get to be there. We get to be a part of it. We will be in eternity with the Lord, and we will know all that there was when he was with the Father before all creation. And it's such a rich thing. I mean, the Creator, Almighty God, who created all things, and there he is in conversation, in prayer. And we're there with him, you know. In verses 1 through 5, Jesus prays for himself. He spoke these words and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, and you know, anybody can lift up their eyes when they pray. They don't have to bow their heads. Anybody can raise their hands to heaven when they worship. They don't have to keep them folded. You know, as the Lord lives, he is... is uh, great and powerful and mighty in all the earth, and there's nothing we can't do with our bodies to praise and worship him uh, that's going to offend. You know, we, we can always lift up our eyes to heaven. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. And as you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, that we may know him the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have glorified you on the earth and I have finished the work which you have done and given to me. And now, O oh Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world was. You know, to be glorified as he was before time with his Father, to give eternal life to us, having finished his work, he says. And what is eternal life? You know, that we know the one true eternal God and Jesus whom he sent. I wouldn't waste any words on the mockers that despise heaven. I'm good. I know God. I know his son. I'm good with this. To know the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit for all eternity. Again, we got a bright future. In verses 6 through 19, Jesus prays for his disciples. He says, I have manifest your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. Out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me and, and have kept your word. And they have kept your word. And now they have known all things which you have given me are from you. For I have given them the words which you have given me. And I have received them and have known surely that. Uh, and they have received them and known surely that I came forth from you and have believed 
that you sent me. I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those who you have given me, for they are yours. Interesting how many people. We're praying for the whole world. Well, yes, we don't know how we ought to pray. We should pray, and we should pray in the Spirit, and uh, we should pray as he leads us. But uh, he's praying for these guys. And we'll see later, even those that hear what they have to say. And I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours, and all mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And now I am no longer in the world. He's speaking of what lies right ahead that night, or in a few days. But these are in the world, and I come to you, Holy Father, keep your your name, um, keep through your name those who you have given me, that they may be as we are. It's so rich because, you know, a couple things here. They believe in what, what's important to the Lord, what's important to Jesus, what's important to the Father, what's important for us to believe is that he came from God. Jesus came from God. That's the most important, most surely thing that they came, that they believe. And um, also that, uh, that they would keep, that he would keep through his name, the name of God, the most powerful name, and again, we discussed it a while back. The name of, of the Lord is not so much what the name is, how to say it, but who he is, who his character is, and what his characteristics are. We see in Exodus 34 when he passed before Moses and for lack of time. But we've been through that. You can look it up again yourselves, and you see who it is the Lord is and what his name is. More importantly, what his nature is and what his character is says, now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to you. Holy Father, keep through your name those whom you have given me, that they may be one with us. What's he desire? That they be one. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me, I kept, and none of them is lost, except the son of perdition. Again, that scriptures might be fulfilled. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. And so already, testifying of what lies ahead for them, the persecution. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. And they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. And so sanctify them by your word. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also send them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself, that they also may be sanctified by the truth. And so Jesus prays for disciples, that the Father would what? Keep them, that they would be as one, even as he and the Father are as one. That's for us. That's for us to have, to be one with the Father, to be one with the Son. And that they have his joy fulfilled in themselves, the joy that Jesus has in all these things and has in us. You know, and has in, in being with the Father again, sending the Spirit to us, give them that joy, you know, that, that they would have his joy fulfilled in themselves. So that the Father would not to take them out of the world, but that while we're here to keep us from the evil one, he asks for that, he prays for that. And that they be sanctified by the truth, and it is the truth that sets us apart. And having sent them into the world, you know, he prays all these things because they're being sent out. Now in 17, verses 26 through 20, 
uh, verses 20 through 26. He prays for all believers. And now this is where he's talking to his Father right now. In all eternity for us right here, right now. For all who hear. For all who believe. So I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me again. That oneness, that singleness, that like-mindedness, that koinonia. And I in you, that you may also be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you gave me, I have given them, that they may be one, just as we are one. In them and you, I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one, that the world may know the reason, that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Do you want the world to know that you're a Christian? Be one with one another. Be like-minded with one another. If you can't, you know, focus on the main thing and keep the main thing the main thing as they like to say uh, you know why would the world recognize that you're from the Lord if, if all they're seeing is fighting and what, it, what a disaster it is all the doctrinal differences that people argue and fight over you know stick to the truth stick to what the scripture plainly says I'm not a scholar I'm not a theologian I'm not a guy who's, who's done anything other than you know Stay in the Word under good teaching for uh, close to 40 years and just listen and take it in and study and study for myself to see if it's true. And that doesn't make me anything. But what, what makes what's important is that if we don't know what a Scripture particularly means, leave it lay. Leave it lay. Maybe it'll come around in the future. Start a whole denomination on it and start divisions and start arguing. That's not the Lord. That's not His kingdom. That's not what He's praying for right here. So in 24, I, I desire that they also, uh, whom you gave me, may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which you have given me, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. Oh, such a bright future we have. O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you, and these have known that you sent me. And I have declared to them your name, and will declare it, that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. Jesus prays for us that we may be one. That's what he wants. He's asking the Father. Shouldn't we be pursuing that? Not compromising the scriptures to be one with some, you know, universalist, Unitarian, you know, or some Jehovah's Witness. We don't compromise to be one. We make the main thing, the main thing to be one, the gospel, who Jesus is, you know, sent from the Father. One in Jesus and the Father, uh, and that the Father, the world, wait, well, the first thing is that maybe we one, one in Jesus, one in the Father, and again, that the world would know who sent us. Number two, he prays that we'd be perfect, but that means complete, accomplished, full, doesn't mean without fault. We are blameless before him and Jesus, you know, we are without fault um, in him, but we're not perfect in the sense that we never fail, but we can be complete, you know, in him. We can be accomplished, not in ourselves, but in everything that he accomplished, we're in. And it's full. We're filled up. We have it all now in him. 
And he says, perfect in one. Um, that we, number three would be that we be with Jesus in glory. And again, how glorious, what a, what a future we have. Exactly as he was with the Father from all eternity, we get to be there with him. The way he and the Father love, we're going to be right there in that love. And again, number four, that same love that the Father has for the Son, that it be in us. Amen to that, eh? So, Father, we do ask that you would um, make us one, that we would learn how to be simple about things, that uh, there might be big questions and, and be true to your word and keep true doctrine, keep the doctrine that, that is uh, central and perfect towards you. That's without dispute. Lord, and keep the true gospel, not adding any works to it, not adding any um, of man's wisdom or traditions of the world. And Lord, let us keep those things. Let us be one in those things. Let us do what you've given us to do. And like your word says, you know, when Peter looked at John, wanted to know what he was doing, Lord, you said to him, um, you know, what is that to you? What if I, what if I, you know, have John around till I come? Well, Lord, we just ask that you would keep us from just worrying about each other and what we're doing and how you're doing in our, what you're doing through us, but that we would encourage one another, that we would continue to bear up and, and minister to one another and help to strengthen and lift up feeble hands and lift up souls that are down. And Lord, we ask uh, in this time right now where people are sick and where people are, are ill, Lord, and, and hurting and desperate, Lord, we ask that you would make us whole, make them whole, give them grace to go through what they've got to go through. And Lord, bring home who you want to bring home. What a glorious home we have. And we just lift that all up to you. Pray be with us in Jesus' name. Amen. Come around in the future. Start a whole denomination on it and start divisions and start arguing. That's not the Lord. That's not his kingdom. That's not what he's praying for right here. So in 24, I, I desire that they also, uh, whom you gave me, may be with me where I am. That they may behold my glory, which you have given me. For you loved me before the foundation of the world. Oh, such a bright future we have. O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you, and these have known that you sent me. And I have declared to them your name, and will declare it, that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. Jesus prays for us, that we may be one. That's what he wants. He's asking the Father. Shouldn't we be pursuing that? Not compromising the scriptures to be one with some you know, universalist, Unitarian, you know, or some Jehovah's Witness. We don't compromise to be one. We make the main thing, the main thing to be one, the gospel, who Jesus is, you know, sent from the Father. One in Jesus and the Father, uh, and that the Father, the world, wait, well, the first thing is that maybe we one, one in Jesus, one in the Father, and again, that the world would know who sent us. Number two, he prays that we'd be perfect, but that means complete accomplished, full, doesn't mean without fault. We are blameless before him and Jesus. You know, we are without fault um, in him, but we're not perfect in the sense that we never fail, but we can be complete, you know, in him. We can be accomplished, not in ourselves, 
but in everything that he accomplished, we're in. And it's full. We're filled up. We have it all now in him. And he says, perfect in one. Um, that we, number three would be that we be with Jesus in glory. And again, how glorious, what a, what a future we have. Exactly as he was with the Father from all eternity, we get to be there with him. The way he and the Father love, we're going to be right there in that love. And again, number four, that same love that the Father has for the Son, that it be in us. Amen to that. Eh? So Father, we do ask that you would um, make us one, that we would learn how to be simple about things, that uh, there might be big questions and, and be true to your word and keep true doctrine, keep the doctrine that, that is uh, central and perfect towards you. That's without dispute. Lord, and keep the true gospel, not adding any works to it, not adding any... Um, of man's wisdom or traditions of the world. And Lord, let us keep those things. Let us be one in those things. And let us do what you've given us to do. And like your word says, you know, when Peter looked at John, wanted to know what he was doing, Lord, you said to him, um, you know, what is that to you? What if I, what if I, you know, have John around till I come? Well, Lord, we just ask that you would keep us from just worrying about each other and what we're doing and how you're doing in our what you're doing through us, but that we would encourage one another, that we would continue to bear up and, and minister to one another and help to strengthen and lift up feeble hands and lift up souls that are down. And Lord, we ask uh, in this time right now where people are sick and where people are, are ill, Lord, and, and hurting and desperate, Lord, we ask that you would make us whole, make them whole, give them grace to go through what they got to go through, and Lord, bring home who you want to bring home. What a glorious home we have. And we just lift that all up to you. Pray to be with us in Jesus' name. Amen.